Studio Erbo and Bonfire Press present Essence House EGB by Chuck Pino and Eric J. Cockrell Read by Michael Goodrich March 31st, 1968 As the foam from the top of the mug began to dissipate, Joe let out a low sigh of relief. He hefted the glass and took a long swallow of the oh-so-cold beer. The cooling sensation spread through his chest and his eyes closed for a long moment. That feeling, it reminded him he was alive. It reminded him that the haunting visions that played through his mind like an inkblot test as he had stared into the foam were gone, and he was home again. Sort of. I know you, a voice shot out through the cloud of memories, forcing Joe to take in a long intake of air. He had forgotten that he wasn't alone, forgotten he was even in a bar. He'd even tuned out the jukebox playing Jefferson Airplane's White Rabbit. Grace Slick's haunting tones drifted through him, allowing him to grip the mug once more, staccato beats of the snare beckoning him to take another swig. As his lips reached for the temporary respite from reality, reality came calling in the form of a rough shove, spilling beer all over his unshaven features and his collared blue cotton shirt. I said, I know you, baby killer. The voice spoke louder this time, inches from Joe's face. He could probably make out the man's features if he bothered to turn his head. Was the reek of alcohol coming from this man? Or was this just another of his senses finally waking from its dulled slumber? You do? He shot back taking a moment to gather his thoughts before continuing. I have to say, I wouldn't hold that as a claim to fame, chum. The man stepped back and grinned a dirty grin, his beard splitting apart to reveal a row of tanned teeth. Joe turned his head to take in what he found to be three men, two stepping up courageously to assist this new friend of his. All three looked to be a little older than him, with longer hair. The leader of the three was dressed fairly shabbily, while the other two looked more like street toughs than anything else. My claim to fame? He turned to the friend on his right and elbowed him in the rib, laughing. The two toughs barely reacted to the situation. My claim to fame is going to be kicking your... Sorry, how do you think you know me exactly? Joe interrupted, turning his body completely in the bar stool to give the men his undivided attention. The man cleared his throat and leaned against the bar, eyeing Joe long and hard. My little brother had some classes with you in school a few years back. You disappeared, and the rumor was you went off to kill for old LBJ. Couldn't wait to get your hands bloody. That's what I was told. And then we hear you've returned from duty, Joe Krimke. He leaned in and sneered. Tell me I'm wrong, baby killer. Joe sat straight-backed his arms laid out on his legs, hands draped over his knees. I'm afraid I can't, good sir, he said almost smugly. It looks like you've got me completely figured out. So, now what? The aggressor chuckled some under his breath and nodded slowly. That means me and the boys are going to take you out back and have a little fun with the government puppet. 
To his credit, Joe stayed completely still as the man breathed on him and hissed in his face. But there's your problem, friend. You said it. I'm a killer. His left hand whipped up and struck the dirty man in the throat, forcing a quick gasp from his mouth before clenching his fingers around the hair-covered flesh of his neck. Do you think you stand a chance against a killer? He whispered, loud enough for the two goons to hear as well. With the two men against the bar, this made it difficult for the toughs to get at them. The one closer to the outside took a few steps forward. Joe kicked out with his right foot into the dirty man's shin, knocking his foot back. It, in turn, slammed into the shin of the man attempting to walk around. With his second opponent buckled forward, Joe launched an uppercut directly onto his jaw, clacking it shut and sending the man tumbling backwards. Joe turned to face his remaining opponent, only to feel the sting of a fist against his chin. To his credit, he only took one step back before squaring up for a physical retort. Joe, step back! The rest of you, leave well enough alone. As the door shut behind him, Joe darted his gaze over to catch eyes with a very familiar figure, standing tall, stoic, and looking maybe just a little judgmental. Barney, this is nothing, okay? These guys had a problem with me, so we're just solving it. Joe had turned to keep his three opponents in his vision, not bothering to let them get the drop on him. The three men were keeping their distance, but watching him with the same feral fervor. Barney slowly walked up and addressed the bartender, who was eyeing the group of men while hefting a baseball bat. Gentlemen, he's not always the most social of creatures, but I promise my brother Joe can be better company than he's displayed thus far. What could possibly be the problem? The leader huffed and pointed at Joe. We know where he was stationed, and we know what they did while they were over there. He spat on the floor, but Joe didn't bother to flinch or react. Oh, good. You know what Joseph did. Does everyone then? He said, turning around to find only one other person in the bar. An older gentleman, wearing a brown corduroy jacket and nursing a scotch in a corner booth alone. The man shrugged and took a sip. Barney turned back to the others. He strode over to Joe and wrapped an arm around his shoulder. This man snuck his way into the war with my... Joe pushed his brother back some and shook his head. You... you don't have to tell them. They don't matter. Barney shook his head vehemently. No, brother dear. He took my place in the draft in secret. He knew I had been accepted to medical school, so he took my draft and did my time. If you should be striking anyone, it should be me. The two looked to the dirty man who pushed past them and made his way towards the door. That doesn't make you much better, kid. The two toughs followed behind him. Before the two could say anything to one another, the bartender called over. They walked out without paying. Your fight, you deal with it, he said to Joe, who sharply nodded back. Barney tapped his pocket. I have this one, and how about a pair of beers for the two of us, good sir? The bartender nodded and then looked over to the man in the corner. I'm going to get their drinks, and then I'll be right there, sir. He walked over to the taps. You can't follow me and fix everything, Barney. He accepted the drink from the bartender 
and gave him an appreciative nod. One of these days, you won't be here, and things will go bad. It's just the way it is. They don't want to hear the truth, and they don't believe it when they do. And I can't stay in that house all day. Not with Mom. He choked and took a swig to keep himself from an emotional outburst. Barney patted him on the shoulder and took a drink himself. I understand. You're right. Have you thought about work? Any prospects? He inquired, trying to change the mood. Joe nodded slowly. There's a ranching position, but it would mean moving out to Wyoming. I could take a train out and visit you now and then. And if they're bringing you all the way out there, I'm sure the money's good. What's stopping you? Barney was pleased that he had turned his brother away from his morose condition, though he tried as hard as he could to not show it. Joe finished a long swallow and licked his lips, staring forward at the trinkets on the wall behind the bar. What would I do in Wyoming? I haven't even been back that long. I I just don't know what I want yet. The bartender interrupted from the other side of the bar. You two are off the hook. The nice man paid for your troubles already. So maybe thank Mr. Uh, Edmund. Though I think Roland would be best. Thank you. Roland held out a hand for shaking. Barney was the first to take his hand, thanking him profusely, while Joe took it and offered an appreciative shake and smile. Do you mind if I join the two of you? Joe hopped up and moved down a seat, letting the man sit between the two of them. Barney looked at the man quickly. Do I know you from somewhere? Roland waved his hand. If I remembered something like that, I wouldn't have to introduce myself. Nice to meet you, though. The man held a crooked wooden walking stick that looked to be well-crafted and leaned it up against the bar. He set his scotch down and turned to look at Joe. So, I heard from my time in the corner that we should be saluting the return of a hero, no? Joe breathed out and shook his head, averting his gaze. No, sir. I've been back for a bit now, and I'm no hero. After the sounds of some cluttering beside him, Joe felt the cool smoothness of the wooden walking stick against his right cheek, slowly pushing his head back to Roland. Pick up your mug, son, Roland said sternly. He turned to say the same to Barney, but he had already begun to lift his. Joe sheepishly picked his drink up a few inches off of the bar top. The strange old man held his glass up high. To family, and the sacrifices we make to keep them safe. He looked, and the two raised their glasses, clinked them to his, and all three took a drink. Joe softly responded, Now that I can drink to. Seeing as everyone's drinks were closer to empty than they were to full, Roland waved to the barkeep. These two said they wanted to see how your scotch is. Do you mind making it three and put them on my tab? Barney tried to stop him. Sir, it's okay, let me. I'm studying to become a doctor. Roland chuckled and gave him a wink. Well, isn't that special? You can get the drinks when I have to call you doctor. The three of them finished their drinks just in time for the scotch to show up. Barney looked at his glass and took a smell. 
Joe hesitated and watched to see what the other two did. Roland went straight to his drink and took a long swallow. The others followed shortly behind. So, Roland said, turning to Joe, I heard that you were looking for work. I have a need for a groundskeeper here in town, on my personal property. Do you think you can handle that sort of work, son? Joe's eyes widened. Yeah, I can do that. I mean, mostly all I've done is the work on our house, but anything I don't know, I can learn. Good. You can start whenever you're ready, but I would like for you to start within the next week, if you can, Roland said, eyeing the young man. Joe stammered. Yes, of course. I can start first thing in the morning, if you would like. Joseph, my boy, I think that would be wonderful, Roland said excitedly, clapping him on the back. Joe cleared his throat and turned to regard his new boss. About that, sir, if we're going to work together, I think I need to be honest. I took my brother's name when I went into the war. Everyone has called me Joe ever since, but it would be really nice to get back to going by my own name again, if you don't mind. Roland nodded and held out his hand. The two shook heartily. Fantastic. Nice to meet you, Barnabas. September 23rd, 1970. A young boy around seven years old, wearing long pants, a sweater, and sneakers, tore across the well-manicured lawn and crashed into the bushes of the adjoining forest. Catch me if you can, he shouted at the top of his lungs with youthful glee. A moment later, his sister was attempting to catch up, several years his senior, running barefoot with a pair of sweats, a tie-dye t-shirt, and her hair up in a bun. Rick, don't you go too far in or the monsters will get you, she said, laughing all the while. Barnabas leaned against his rake and watched the two disappear into the tree line. His vision began to blur some as he listened to their playful voices, slowly decrescendo into eventual silence. He lost focus and felt a welling up in his chest and a drifting of his mind into memories that had long been dormant. There was something nice about not being brought back to his time in the war, but in some ways, Remembering his childhood was almost as difficult. Memories of he and his brother playing in the backyard while his mother watched only made matters worse. He drifted to the moment when he came in on the train. There was a crowd of people waiting, many angry. He ignored their anger as best he could and searched the crowd for Joe and his mother. He had his bag over his shoulder and pressed through the crowd as best he could. Some relented. Others tried to block his way, but he just continued around them. Joe was waiting at the edge of the crowd. Barnabas was hugged much longer than he had been expecting, and it ruined his train of thought. He wanted to speak, but seeing his brother, feeling all of the homesickness waft away, he hugged back and wept openly. The two laughed at one another's tears when they broke off the embrace calling each other girl and Nancy. Joe pelted him with information, asking first if Barnabas was still going under the name Joe, which he was, and telling him that while they were together and getting settled, he could call him Barney for fun. Barnabas had had enough and stopped him as they reached the car. 
Joe, please stop. Mother, where is she? Joseph simply shook his head and choked. Barnabas opened his eyes as he felt the rake slip out of his hands. He had been leaning on it and now had to attempt to catch his balance. As he did so, he sniffed aloud and stared down at the rake. As he bent low to retrieve it, he heard Roland call for him. Barnabas, are you okay? Barnabas sniffed quickly and wiped the tears from his eyes with his sleeve. He cleared his throat and stood up deftly, rake in hand. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. I was daydreaming. Won't happen again. He stared apologetically at Roland, the man who had taken care of him for over two years now. Roland chuckled. You're too good of a man to lie well. Come now, son. You're practically an uncle to my children. You can tell me the truth. What's bothering you? He placed a reassuring hand on the younger man's shoulder. Barnabas breathed in deeply and let it out. I'm sorry, sir. I saw the kids playing and just got lost in long-ago times, I guess. I was thinking about Joe and me as kids and my mother. He thought he had the strength to continue the sentence, but he didn't. He was overwhelmed, and the word, as well as the rest of the sentence, were choked out. He held his composure as best he could, but it wasn't enough, at least not for Barnabas. You haven't mentioned your mother much, but Joseph spoke highly of her the last time we were together. He told me she passed quite suddenly about four years ago. He tried to meet his gaze with Barnabas's. Something you want to tell me? Barnabas nodded. I was away when she passed, sir. He took a long time to gather himself before continuing. I never got to say goodbye. I think that's my greatest regret. Roland put a hand around his shoulder, and began to walk him towards the house, his walking stick poking at the ground in his other hand as they did so. I know all about regrets, son. I have more than I can count. I lost a man in the war that was my best friend and more, but I moved on. He opened the door and led the younger man towards his study. I am lucky, though. I have the knowledge that the regrets I have made me the man I am today and will make my family all the better for it. He opened the study and beckoned for Barnabas to take a seat. I believe I can help you, Barnabas. The problem is that any answers I give you will only be met with more questions, and much of it I simply can't answer. He stopped for a moment and collected his thoughts. If I can give you a last moment with your mother, will you just accept the answers I give you afterwards? Barnabas took a moment to consider his answer. He scanned the walls, his eyes coming to rest on the strange gun hanging in a frame. It was bulkier, thicker than any handgun he had ever seen before. He always wanted to ask about it, but he simply couldn't. His eyes passed another item, what looked to be a strange plastic necklace box with rounded edges that sat in a glass cloak on the desk. He turned back to Roland. If you can do that, yes, absolutely. If you can somehow let me speak to my mother one last time, I will accept whatever you say. I need to know when your mother passed 
to the best of your recollection. Barnabas slowly rattled off the details that he was aware of. Roland stood up, walked over to the man, and motioned to the coat rack. Grab that rain poncho. Good. Now put it on and pull the hood all the way over your head. Try to hide the top of your face. Barnabas did exactly as he was told, albeit with some skepticism. Now, where we're going, I don't want you to meet eyes with anyone. Just look away and keep completely quiet until I say different, okay? React to nothing. Barnabas nodded. Yes, sir. He wasn't close to sure, but all he had right now was faith. As completely, utterly batty as that seemed at the time. Roland grabbed the poncho and touched the staff to Barnabas's chest. Not a word, he said, before he closed his eyes, and everything shot past him all at once. Barnabas could never find the words for what he saw, but it was over as quickly as it occurred, and then he found himself standing side by side with Roland at his own front door. Roland rapped his knuckles hard on the door, a sharp reminder to Barnabas to look away. It was only a moment before the door opened. The hairs on Barnabas's neck stood on end when he heard the voice at the door. Yes, can I help you? Joseph asked politely. Roland nodded sharply. You must be Betsy's eldest, Joseph. Nice to meet you, lad, he said, adding a slight Scottish brogue to his words. Joseph eyed the two for a moment, though stopped short of being rude. Yes, sir, I am. Thank you. May I help you? You can at that. Your mother and I were friends in college. I had heard that she wasn't well. My condolences. I was wondering if you'd let me have a moment with her. Joseph looked suspicious. Sir, she went to an all-girls college. Roland was always quick-witted. I was on the staff, lad. I worked on the landscaping crew. The younger man nodded apologetically and moved for the two to enter. I'm sorry. Okay. I can give you a moment with her. And who is your friend? Barnabas stopped in his tracks, sweat running down his brow. Why couldn't he let his own brother recognize him? Roland tapped the walking stick on Barnabas's arm. That's my nephew. He's a wee daft, he said, whispering the last phrase with his hand cupped to hide his lips from Barnabas. Joseph ushered the two through the house into his mother's room. He hesitated a moment, with his hand on the doorknob. She isn't awake most times, sir. I'll go make us all a hot cup of coffee, and I'll come get you when it's ready. He opened the door. Excellent. Thank you, Roland replied, just before the door closed behind the two of them. Roland waved to the bed and turned to the door. There you are, son. That's the best I can do for you. Barnabas stared at his mother, so much older and frailer than he had remembered, laying still in her bed. She was tucked in nicely and propped up slightly on a set of pillows that looked freshly plumped. She was well taken care of, 
The young man walked slowly to take a seat between her bed and the window. He looked down at her hand and swallowed hard. Taking her hand in his, he felt the warmth, if subtle. He gave it a soft kiss, which was followed by a long, slow breath from his mother. His head popped up, and he stared into her eyes. They remained closed, and she remained otherwise unresponsive. Mother, he started. The tears from earlier made themselves known once more. This time, he was far too focused to care. I can't begin to tell you how sorry I was that I wasn't here for you. You are, boy, Roland said from the door. You're here right now. You know what you came here to say. Barnabas regarded his mother with every bit of himself that he ever had. He took in all of her features, as though it were a photograph he would always keep in his helmet. When the photo was snapped, he came in slowly and gave her a long, deep, supportive hug. He felt her soften in his arms, her head leaning against his shoulder ever so slightly. I love you so much, Mom, he choked. I always will. He sat there for a moment, not moving from the embrace. When he knew he had to, he slowly propped her back into her pillows and stood up. He turned to Roland and gave the man a sharp nod. Roland wrinkled his nose in surprise. Don't you want to say goodbye, son? He inquired softly. Barnabas tapped his temple and sniffed. Don't have to. She's here now. Roland nodded sharply and swung the door open. Sorry, lad, but I must be going without a nip. I have to get the boy here home. Come, boy. The two rushed out the door. Moments later, Roland tapped his companion on the chest with the staff. And both men were once more standing in the office. Barnabas sucked in a surprised breath. What's that? Barnabas started before being cut off by Roland. Real? Quite yes. I can answer some questions. There was a knock at the study door. A young woman's voice spoke confidently through the door. Masters Timothy and Tristan are here to see you, Mr. Edmund. Thank you, Miss Gianni, he called back with a smile. He turned to the small wine closet behind his desk. Grab us two glasses, my friend. I'm afraid I have a very important meeting to attend with people who are not very patient. You may have one question. And then, we must continue this later. Barnabas remembered his promise, scanned the room once more, trying to find a question that could give him the easiest, most satisfying answer. He turned back to Roland confidently and handed him a pair of wine glasses from the credenza. I want to know about that gun, he said, pointing with his now free hand at the weapon that had intrigued him for several years now. Roland Mid-poor, laughed aloud and finished pouring their glasses. That's a hell of a story. Good pick. He raised his glass and waited for Barnabas. The younger man followed suit, spotting the vintage year on the bottle. 1988. Roland clinked his glass with Barnabas's and erupted loudly with, 
Welcome to the Essence Guard, Barnabas Krimke. Theme music by Carol Cockrell.